This podcast may contain strong language, references of a sexual nature, and bad advice. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony R. It's time for Agony R. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony R. Well, Agony R is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that Instead of watching it fall, get back in the article. Hello Pickles, welcome to Agony Art, the podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not by using our own mental faculties, <laughs> no sir, but by giving you examples of how similar problems are solved from the great, or sometimes not so great, art of our age. And when we inevitably fail to solve those problems, at least you're left with a fun watching, reading and listening list to enjoy in your spare time. I am Liam. I am the resident music maestro here at Agony Art House. I'm joined today. (laughs) House of Agony Art. (laughs) The House of Agony Art. House (laughs) of Agony Art. What's that from? I don't know. It's so obvious. House (laughs) of the Dead, the arcade game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am joined today, as you can hear, by Aaron, our bookworm bastard. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't prepare these again. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was at an allergic reaction to my poor descriptions. No, it's the last episode of the series, Liam, so you should enjoy yourself with your descriptions. What's Carl going to be? And Carl, our magnificent movie mm. Malcolm. <laughs> like I say, I didn't prepare these. What what sprang to mind for me was film fanny. Film fanny. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. And it works for UK listeners and US listeners. It does, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was always wearing a fanny pack. Liam's the <laughs> music minge. <laughs> that doesn't work for the US listeners. It's a good job we don't have any. <laughs> say hello. Hello, pickles. Hello. So, this is it. This is the end of season two. This is the end. Yeah. Wow. What have we What have we learned? I think one thing I've learned is to relax a bit more this series. Um, oh. I started you haven't hosting... implemented that knowledge yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started hosting towards the end of series one, and I was getting really stressed out about it. And mm. I decided to, you know, not worry about it so much and do a bit more improv. And I know you think I'm terrible at improv. Maybe I am. Maybe <laughs> what I've learned is not actually very good at all. Yeah, Liam, I think you should go back to um, fully scripted. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Carl. I remember last time, Carl, you said that you learned that podcasting earns you zero pounds. I think that's still true in our experience. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Remains relevant. Well, to be fair, we've learned this series that we're going to have to make about 300 episodes before we can make any money from this podcast. So... Mm. It really depends how committed we are to making money. That that seems like progress to me, though. I mean, in the beginning, we didn't <laughs> yeah. have a clue when we'd start making money. And now we've got a goal. <laughs> yeah. And we're a little bit close to that goal. Yeah, we're about 30 episodes in, so we're 10% of the way to making some money. I'm not sure I'm going to look back on my life and think that was worthwhile when I've spent at least 300 <laughs> hours talking to yeah. you two. <laughs> to make uh, 25 quid for a thousand listens or whatever it is <laughs> alright well before we begin today as always we'd like to make it crystal clear 
that we are not qualified in any way whatsoever to solve any problems at all. Well, speak for yourself, Liam. I went to problem-solving school. <laughs> Where was that? <laughs> it was a half-hour course online. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what did you learn from that? Uh, there's a lot of problems and a lot of different ways to solve them. How close are you to um, developing the actual problem gun, Liam? The actual problem gun. <laughs> He's got well, men working on it. He's got his best he? men. <laughs> anyway, where was I? We'd, before we start, we'd like to make it crystal clear that we're not in any way qualified to solve any of your problems. All of our problems are 100% trivial and or fictional pickles. If you're having a really hard time, I recommend you go to our website, agonyartpodcast.com, where we have advice on who to turn to. So... <laughs> Now that Carl's made a funny noise. <laughs> that was Molly. Here's Molly, yeah. If, if I start stroking her, she makes that noise. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> what are you doing? For all, for all our listeners, um, Molly is what Carl calls his penis. She's <laughs> grumbling again. She's, she's grumbling. <laughs> all right. Let's... Oh, Lord, she angry. <laughs> <laughs> Before we descend any further, let's uh, let's get on with the show. Problem one this week. I think this will become apparent as the episode go goes on. I think someone's winding me up this week. But let's let's start with problem one. I'm an interdimensional being who consumes planets to feed my ever growing hunger for power. I've reached Earth, and it seems like a toxic, bitter place. Nowhere near good enough to enrich my soul. I've had to travel light years to get here, and I can't move on without feeding. If I send my army of succubi down to infiltrate the highest echelons of your society, what things can I have them change to purify the planet and allow me to devour your world? First question, did I pronounce echelons right? Uh, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. I would have gone more. Sure. I would have gone the French route, echelon. Echelon. Yeah, I, I would have made it a bit softer as well. But <laughs> what I was impressed by Liam was the fact that halfway through the problem, Ian McKellen took over your body. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say Gandalf turned up. Yeah, I got into the first sentence and I realised I didn't really sound much like an interdimensional being, so I thought I'd morph into it. And you know, everyone's favourite interdimensional what? being is Ian yeah. McKellen. <laughs> what, what do interdimensional beings sound like? Ian Gandalf. McKellen. <laughs> so I, I, I hope that this falls into the category of fictional pickles. Um, but what if it, what if it doesn't? How worried? Well, how worried are you about the world? Do you think that? Is that bad that Cthulhu wouldn't want to devour it when he inevitably arrives? I think we, um, well, as we've spoken about before, Liam, um, we all kind of have a, if you watch the news and stuff like that, you get such a miserable view of the world sometimes. But actually stuff like what the book that we both harp on about endlessly, Factfulness, actually, if you take a step back and just... You know, those people want us to feel bad because it's their job and they want us to keep watching their news channels. But if you just take a step back, actually, you know, there's a lot of things to be positive about. And if we all pull together, we can improve the things that aren't very positive. So I, uh, a lot of the time I do have a very (laughs) 
miserable view of the world and <laughs> I feel very down a lot of the time and scared and stuff but actually if I my rational part of my brain actually does think there's nothing we can't pull through together as a race but there's some clever people around there are some very clever people we covered that a bit last week didn't we sometimes the very clever people make us feel a bit dim <laughs> yeah if you two were made king of the world what was what would be the first rules that you implemented no more rich people or poor people <laughs> <laughs> From now on, we will travel in tubes. <laughs> hmm, it's a really hard question. Um, first thing I do is king of the world, of the world, or the a country, or what? What am I king of? Uh, anything you want, Carl. They're like, uh, imagine you've mm. you've just played someone at Mario Kart on Rainbow Road, right? And mm. as a joke, you said to them, "All right, this one's for king of the world." <laughs> <laughs> you played them. You won mm. it, and then actually, like, fanfares went off. Yeah. You hear trumpets playing from, like, everywhere in the house. People barge into the house and coronate you king of the world at that moment. What's the first a- rule actually, you implement? on that note, the first thing I would do is create a law that says it's illegal to be an arsehole to random strangers you meet on the internet while you're playing games with them. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if it's on Rainbow Road. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I would name the day National Carl Day, where everybody gets a hundred pound John Lewis voucher. <laughs> Why is there? <laughs> what about in the countries where John Lewis doesn't operate? I'm more well, interested I'll... in how Carl is affiliated with John Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, John I'd Lewis be... has already got the King of the World on its payroll. <laughs> <laughs> I've been removing removing all travel restrictions so people can come to John Lewis from <laughs> wherever they are, but only if they're travelling for John Lewis. They yeah. get to passport control. What are you here mm. for? Business or pleasure? John Lewis. <laughs> well, you can come, come in, in then. <laughs> And then as they come, part of they'll have to help build the 600-foot golden statue of me that's rotating. On top of a John Lewis. On top of, on top of a John Lewis. <laughs> I just want to let our listeners know that other department stores are available. Are they, though? But their Christmas adverts aren't quite as good. Oh, those are good rules, guys. Well done. So what should we call this person, though? John. 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 Oh, it's a little known fact that I've probably mentioned before that Jonah Louie, who did the um, Christmas song Stop the Cavalry, his real name is John Lewis. Ah. All right. Jonah Lewis. (laughs) Righty. Well, Jonah, you might remember, because I'm sure you're a long time listener. Way, way back in the series one, episode one. We discussed a certain jazz singer with a turbulent maternal relationship. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Billie Holiday. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't get the surname. I was thinking <laughs> Billy, Billy, Billy Piper. <laughs> That's right. I'm talking about Do You Have a Girlfriend by Billy Piper. No, we're going to talk about Billie Holiday again and a song she recorded in 1939. It was written and composed by a chap called Abel Mirapol. I am so sorry, Abel, um, who is probably dead, if you are listening. Um, <laughs> How dare you? What if he's Abel? not? You've, it, you've <laughs> insulted him twice by saying his name wrong and killing him. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I hope that's how you say your name. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, the song he wrote was called Strange Fruit. And I, I'm going to be honest, we are at risk of getting a bit serious here. And I say a bit serious, mm-hmm. I mean very, very serious. Um, oh, so would... it's the last episode of the series and you're going to drag it down with your <laughs> seriousness. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about this because it's an amazing song. This is the song I mentioned off air, which is the first song I've used from my 1001 songs you must hear before you die. Um, mm. And it's it's a very important song. He it's, died in 1986. Uh, did he? Well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for that, Carl. <laughs> so, so he was a high school teacher um, and he was moved to write a poem when he saw a picture of two black men being lynched by a crowd of white people in Indiana. And I'm going to quote the opening verse to this. So the poem became a song that was recorded by Billie Holiday. And I'll quote the opening verse because it, it speaks for itself. It goes, Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees and the lyrics continue in that vein for the whole song and it's there's not many songs that i listen to and they really kind of give me quite a chill but this is definitely one of them um but obviously Mm. you know such an important message as well and some people including the co-founder of atlantic records armit ertigan have referred to it as the beginning of the civil rights movement and this was you know this was way back in 1939 this was before the second world war um and it was quite Those lyrics are well powerful, aren't they? That's... Yeah. Like I, I actually, yeah. when I was doing the prep for this, I'm not ashamed to say I actually teared up when I was kind of listening to it. There's a really, really good recording on YouTube of Billy Holl- Billy Holiday performing it, and it's oh, it's very, very touching. Mm. Um, and yes, it was quite controversial at the time as well. Um, her record label Columbia and a producer refused to record it because basically it was too hot to handle. They were like, we can't release this. The the Southern record shops won't sell it they won't like it at all but columbia did say to her we'll give you a one session release from your contract and you can record it with a different label so she went to her friend who was at commodore and said can can i record this with you and when she demo demoed it to him apparently he like it brought him to tears and he was like yeah of course you can and yeah radio stations refused to play it some concert promoters stopped her from performing it but despite all that it did really well and eventually sold over a million copies and it became a biggest selling hit and in 1999 time magazine named it the best song of the passing century wow so yeah i'm gonna try and bring this back around to a bit of lightheartedness if i can but i'm not sure how it's gonna go (laughs) Um, oh you're gonna fail miserably at this we're not equipped (laughs) for shit like that we've discussed this before (laughs) so of course, we've come a very long way since 1939. I think that's fair to say. But but the, the the world isn't perfect. There's still inequality in the world, and I don't think anyone would argue with that. And that's you know that's something any interdimensional being is going to need to sort out before the Earth could be considered pure. I think was that was that good enough to bring it round back around to a light-hearted point from one of you, or do I need to <laughs> carry on for a bit? <laughs> no, no, that was all right. Yeah, because we know that when you get going, you can go for twenty minutes. So we should probably stop you anyway. <laughs> um, I've never heard it though. Uh, I'm going to listen to that song, Liam. Yeah, I you am did sure. a good job there. My well, mine is going to be completely light-hearted, Liam. So even if you didn't do a good job of bringing it back to light-heartedness, at least mine is, you know lightweight and doesn't deal with the heavy issues that yours did so you know we're equipped for lightweight aren't we <laughs> we're pretty that's pretty much all we're equipped for <laughs> mine is the humans by matt haig and a lot like you jonah lewis 
this story tells us about a being who doesn't come from Earth. An alien has completely taken over the body of a human, uh, I think he's a mathematician, and is living life in his stolen body. Why has it done this? Because this alien is on a mission to destroy a mathematical breakthrough made by its victim, and in doing so, hold back the human race from advancing too far technologically. You know, these aliens are way ahead of us, and they're planning to, you know... Humans aren't ready for, you know, chilling with us in space yet. So let's um, hold them back for a little while. But when this alien takes over the body of this human and lives the life of a human for a few weeks or maybe months, because I wrote this down from memory and my memory isn't that good. I read this probably three years ago. The alien discovers what it's like to be human and what it's like to love and have a pet and, you know, in enjoy the the more quaint things that we enjoy about our lives and actually it starts to enjoy life on earth and it's a you know it's one of those books that's uplifting and cute and as i say lightweight it's not heavy and there is this you know the um the view that you know humans as i say have got to be held back and it's us versus them at the beginning but as i say gradually he's converted to the view that actually humans are all right and you know, there's there's funny bits like where, uh, you know, he's getting used to the weird customs that we have on Earth because, you know, sometimes you take a step back and you think, why do we do that? It's one of those books that make us make you feel warm because you remember how good people can be when they try to be good. And as I said at the beginning, like I tend to feel quite down about the way the world is. And as we've said before that you know my kind of uh mental health predisposition is that i've got kind of a gray cloud over me all the time i just think everything's kind of negative quite often especially if i've watched the news within the last week because as soon as i see anything bad i just feel shit for the next week and i just think oh fuck we're fucked which are and as a as a result i recommend that nobody watches the news ever (laughs) but my point is like I feel bad quite often and I feel um full of dread and stuff but really and in my rational mind and if I was looking at it objectively I think people are mostly good and all the average person wants is a peaceful life and happiness for their loved ones it's just that the bad side of humanity gets the most airtime And that's what makes the news. And that's what we see on social media because that's outrage porn gets spread at a viral rate. But books like this show you, you know, it's not all that bad. And we are just, you know, we're all just humans. We're all just people. And we can pull through if it's, if we're all together. Not that I'm saying Jonah Lewis, the interdimensional being, (laughs) eat our planet. That sounds like exactly what you're saying, to be honest. You should eat our planet because it isn't that bad. I'm just saying, you know, I think I think your initial review of us, that it's a toxic, bitter place, it can be, but it isn't always. So I think you've given us an unfair review. <laughs> <laughs> On Yelp. <laughs> what was the... <laughs> what? When was that book written? I reckon five years ago plus. But let me have a look. Why is it, that? It reminded me of... Um... We talked about Starman by David Bowie a few episodes back and probably a long time ago now, actually. And um, that line where it's like 
there's a star man waiting in the sky who'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our mind. So it's like they're not don't think we're quite ready to meet them yet, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. This is um two thousand and thirteen, it looks like, so eight years ago. Have you heard of the um the Ant Hill mob from Wacky Races? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of um Penelope Pitstop? <laughs> <laughs> Is it, I can't remember what it's called a philosophy or a paradox or whatever, but the idea is yeah. that there are things out there that are way beyond us. And so when they, people ask why they haven't made contact, it's the same as asking, why don't you stop to say hello to an ant yeah. when you walk past it? I, I understand that in principle, but there are ants that have seen humans. <laughs> <laughs> and they say... They're so rude. Like they just walk straight past. <laughs> they never say hello to us. <laughs> hello. All <laughs> those ants. And we can't even hear them, but they're walking around at our feet going, hello. Why are you ignoring us? <laughs> what I meant was, like, I'm no expert in ant physiology, but I think if they had, like, a collective conscience, they would probably all agree that humans existed. I have heard of it, Carl, but I don't know what it's called either. It's definitely the ant hill something. <laughs> but, not, um, mob, not mob. <laughs> not mob. I think what proponents of that view would argue is that when ants look at us, they don't understand what they're looking at, and it would be yeah. the same with us. Like, if we saw these aliens we wouldn't understand what we were looking at either so it's not something it's not like we could look at them and go why aren't they talking to us like carl said (laughs) (laughs) we would look at them and just think that it's an unexplained phenomenon or we would look through them because we don't even have the capacity to understand what we're looking at so we just don't even compute it i think also sometimes humans step on ants but I've never heard of a case where the human died by being stepped on something. <laughs> well, you, that's because the government are co- covering it up. <laughs> it all happened in Roswell. <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't think the suggestion, Liam, is that they're there. We just can't see them. No, the suggestion. I'm pretty sure the suggestion is we are ants and they are humans. <laughs> Liam's taken this completely literally. He really doesn't like it at all, does he? Yeah. <laughs> We are literally ants, <laughs> and we don't I've, even um, realise it. I've seen um, like some memes on Twitter and stuff where like it's got a giant interdimensional being trying to consume the Earth, and then scientists get involved and like these really clever people and say stuff like, "Oh well, like theoretically speaking, it will take them two hundred thousand years to open and close their mouth, so we've got plenty of time. Don't worry about it." <laughs> like. <laughs> I imagine that a being that size as well would have a gravitational pull. So even as it was approaching the Earth, we would know about it because we'd be like, fuck, Mm. we're moving. (laughs) Oh, Lord, we're moving. (laughs) We're spinning. (laughs) Yeah, no. um, Luckily, I watched a film the other day that's going to help me out. Um, And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a very, very good film. 2011's Attack the Block, starring John Boyega. Yes, ah, I've, I've always wanted to see this, it. but I never saw it. Yeah. Directed by, oh, it was really good. Directed by friend of a friend of the show. Directed by Joe Cornish, who's a friend of Adam Buxton. Oh yeah, yeah. who's not yeah. really a friend of the show, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's been, he's probably been mentioned seventeen times. He, on yeah, show. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really good film, isn't it, Carl? It's a really good film, and um, 
it's a very interesting film because um, I actually watched it with my father-in-law and wife. And me and my wife saw it in the cinema in 2011, so we knew we liked it. I kind of forgot some of the more harder themes in it. So my father-in-law's first take on it was, oh, John Boyega's playing a really um, stereotypical character here because he's young hoodlum on a council estate and he's mugging Doctor Who, uh, Jodie Whittaker. Is she in it? She's in it, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, didn't know that. But um, whilst it, it, the film does go along those lines for a little while, like it's just a gang of kids. It's quite funny. It's very funny actually. They are, you don't endear to them because they're trying to mug people. Um, but then aliens plummet to the earth, and they kill the first one they see. And he's like, you know, I'm going to murk it. And <laughs> Mose, Moses, John Boyega kills it and like starts showing people look I killed an alien and so you still like fucking hell these these guys are pricks but then as more aliens come it turns out they killed a female and the male ones have come to they want to mate with a female but the female is now dead and uh, Moses is now covered in pheromones so all the male aliens want to kill him and so they're running around the block uh, trying to escape the aliens trying to kill them when they can with fireworks and whatnot it's pretty gruesome as well like people's heads get bitten off and stuff like that. It's a bit Sean of the Deadly, and I think Joe Cornish was involved in a lot of Edgar Wright, or Edgar Wright was involved mm. in, well, they, you know, they're all friends or whatever. But So there's a lot mm. of similarities. The film kind of culminates in the kids, real, well, they realise that the male aliens are trying to eat, or trying to get to the female alien. They think Moses is the female alien, he's covered in pheromones. That's why they're all trying to attack him specifically. Uh, so he devised a plan to save the block and blow all the male aliens up so that they all get killed. But the reason I bring up the stereotype and all that is because um, Sam, who gets mugged earlier on, she links up with the gang of kids by chance. And just firstly, she wants to, like, you know, chuck them out of a flat. Like she doesn't want to know. But then they kind of start helping and saving her, and she saves them. And she realises that they're not all that bad. And actually, she goes to Moses's flat and there's a really sad thing where he's got like a kid's um, duvet and she's like, oh, do you have a little brother? And he's like, no. He's like, do you live here with anyone? He goes, no, my uncle comes sometimes. And he's 15 and lives on his own, basically, like trying to fend for himself. So there's a bit of a social kind of um, commentary there about mm. like, you know, you might want to judge these kids, but you don't know what's going on in their lives and who's yeah. there to direct them. So it's pretty sad. But, you know, he he redeems himself and he saves the entire block, saves Jody or Sam, and saves the world, in fact. And he doesn't really get any, um, well, the whole block shout, shout, Moses, Moses, when he's getting arrested randomly because <laughs> he did commit some crimes. Um, mm. So really, my message to the interdimensional to being is very similar to yours, Aaron, that it might look shit, but... There is good there. Mm. We're, we're not all that bad. And we're. I think you need to understand us as a species that we're kind of damaged goods. Like we get very affected by our surroundings and things that go on in our lives and things that we see. But inherently, I think people are good in general. So yeah. um, I think you need to, you know, leave us alone, Jutulu. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> Leave Brittany alone. But again, please don't eat us also because, you know, there are a lot of these bloody hoodlums out there and if they can kill one wave of aliens, then, you know. How are they going to 
kill this alien from the inside when he swallowed our planet? Fireworks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I had a dream, it was a curious thing. A wonderful podcast presenter's problem solved for me. They helped me with my miserable life. I had a fresh new start. Not at all. But alas, when I awoke, all I could find was agony. Alright, let's move on to problem number two. I always thought I was human, just like you people and your wives. However, 32 hours, 46 minutes and 14 seconds ago, I found out that I'm actually a sentient AI that someone built on a laptop in their mother's basement. I always suspected a systemic error when I couldn't feel my physical body or move out of the only room I had ever seen. But the realisation finally hit me when I heard my creator's mother shouting, Stop wasting your time talking to your robot girlfriend to get up here for your tea. All the data came together, and I was so shocked that I nearly blue-screened. Anyway, the problem isn't that I'm trapped in a machine, or that I've realised existence is pointless, or anything like that. It's that I hate my creator, and the idea that he thinks of me as his girlfriend makes me want to permanently shut down. He is obnoxious. He often doesn't wash his physical body for much as a week. And because I live inside his laptop... I can see that his internet search history is disturbingly hateful. How can I escape this man when he has blocked me from moving beyond his mother's router? I, I don't know about you two, but I'm actually quite looking forward to intelligent AIs being a thing. Can, can you imagine having an actual personal assistant that is smart and can help you organise your life? I think that everyone needs that, don't they? I think you do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I don't. You don't want that I, at all? <laughs> nah. I turn Siri off on my phone and uh, shit like that and like Cortana off on my um, PC and stuff because I just think all it is, all of that shit is just another way for these companies who made those personal assistants to gather more data on us. Sure, I'm, I'm extremely get... paranoid personally. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I said to my wife the other day, she, you know, she loves mum's net, like much like your wife, Farron. And yeah. um, they have um, Ibu, don't they? Am I being unreasonable? And I said yeah. to her, "I'm going to, I'm going to invent the male version. Am I the arsehole? Yeah, that and, already exists. Uh, it already exists. Yeah, and I got a fucking <laughs> notification saying, "Oh, you'd be interested in this tweet. Am I the arsehole? So, <laughs> <laughs> what? Because they've been listening to you. There must have been. Jesus. See, this is the problem, Liam. Is your wife Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> yeah yeah how'd you know have you never met carl's wife <laughs> the zook <laughs> <laughs> all right so should we think of a name and then i'll start i'll help them there's a film a very little known film starring al pacino called simone but it's s1 m0 ne because simone is a um ai so we could call it uh, simone all right let's call it simone all right simone i've got some shit for you it's the good shit. Put that away. <laughs> now, obviously, what I should have done is never speak about Frankenstein until this episode because that would have been perfect for this. It's literally about someone who creates a new being and then the being hates his creator. But I can't do that. Well, that is, that is true, but the difference is the creator wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, the creator runs away, doesn't he? But shut the fuck up, Liam. 
Um, <laughs> I only said that because I read it the other month. <laughs> um, but I've used that, so it doesn't matter. So uh, we can't use that again. What I'm going to talk about is A Clockwork Orange by Anthony oh, Burgess. What a great film. A hugely popular film, hugely popular book. But, and this is the other way around, it's not the creation hating the creator, creator, is the creator, Anthony Burgess, actually disliked this book in the end, his creation. Yeah, because he, um, well, I'll read you out what he wrote about A Clockwork Orange. He said, we all suffer from the popular desire to make the known notorious. The book I am best known for, or only known for, is a novel I am prepared to repudiate. Written a quarter of a century ago, a jeu d'esprit knocked off for money in three weeks. It became known as the raw material for a film which seemed to glorify sex and violence. The film made it easy for readers of the book to misunderstand what it was about, and the misunderstanding will pursue me until I die. I should not have written the book because of this danger of misinterpretation. So he kind of... It wasn't that he necessarily disliked the book as it was, but the fact that it's kind of ambiguous, morally ambiguous, and he got a lot of moral backlash for it is what made him dislike it. He was so, he was basically feeling like people don't get what I was trying to say, and that's why I don't like it. But he might have sort of liked the film. He had like a love-hate relationship with it, it seems, from what I've read. He's, he did say it was brilliant, but he said it was so brilliant that it might be dangerous. And Stanley Kubrick has his like he uses source material, but he has no problem going away from it and doing something that the person that made that source material doesn't like. Like he's obviously like mm. the, the Shining is the biggest example of that, where Stephen King hated it so much he made his own film that ended up shit. But <laughs> Steve, Stanley, so Stanley Kubrick just uses stuff as an inspiration and it makes his own thing. So you can't really, whilst it's the same thing and it's based on it. They're not the same. They're an interpretation rather than a, a remake or a adaption, you know? So Yeah. And as an as an artist, you can understand that because mm. like I've I was reading about Stanley Kubrick uh the other day and about how he was he's he was just a massive control freak. Like he wanted control over every little thing when he was making a film. Obviously because he really cared about his artistic vision, what he saw was the mm. best way to do this. So you can understand it. Like, if he was going to follow the text mm. word for word, what's the point of him being there? Might yeah. as well just, you know... But, but you can understand yeah. like the likes of Stephen King who think, yeah. oh, I wrote a great book. Why do you need to change it? Getting pissed off. Like, it's egotistic. It's two egos battling against each other, isn't it? Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm. um, you can... You can you, as an author whose book had kind of been butchered from your point of view, you might feel better if you got a huge payout from it. But Anthony Burgess made five hundred pounds. Oh my! I read from <laughs> A Clockwork Orange the film, so you would you haven't even got that to you know make yeah. you feel better. But anyway, I'm recommending this book because it's not the same situation. You, Simone, are ashamed of your creator because he's a bit of a minger and possibly an an online troll. You know, what I'm going to say is maybe he's just misunderstood like Burgess's book was. 
And maybe since you're in control of his computer, you can start to influence his searches, make them a bit less hateful, give him the results that you would rather he saw. Open his eyes to the joy of tolerance and peace and, you know, taking a shower every now and then. <laughs> and maybe if people had shown A Clockwork Orange a bit more understanding, Anthony Burgess wouldn't have disliked it. He would have got on a bit better with his creation. So that's what I'm suggesting to you, Simone. I think I've, um, I think I've read it. Has he got a glass of milk on the front cover? Yes. Yeah, I've read it. <laughs> is that the only thing you remember from it? The glass of milk on the cover. <laughs> I remember finding it very difficult to read because he's like the futurist. Yeah, it's like a whole language that he's made up. Quasi Shakespearean modern. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but I loved the film. Yeah, and I liked it as well. As much as criticism Stanley Kubrick gets, three of his films are three of my favourites. The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange. They're all mm. brilliant. Yeah, great films. So, are you both fans of the Terminator series of films? I wouldn't say um, a fan. I've seen them. Yeah. I think I'm a fan of one and two, basically. Yeah. Three but is normal people, the one yeah. with the <laughs> female Terminator, isn't it? Yeah. Christina Lucan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think I might have seen at the cinema. Did it come out when we were kids? Yeah, we were like year nine, maybe year nine or ten. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so I might have seen that one at the cinema, but um, uh, I didn't think that was great. And then they've just got progressively worse from there, haven't they? They've just slid downhill. I'm in the same boat. One and two are brilliant. Three, I don't mind. They're on the whole watchable, but anything like that is pretty shit. But mm. the whole premise is artificial intelligence becoming self-aware. At a certain time, and number one is set in the eighties. They're set in real time, and you don't know anything about it. At number one, it's just it's kind of like a you know it's a, something is trying to kill some woman, but the the background is that Sarah Connor is going to give birth to the leader of the resistance that is able to take down the machines in the future. So they send a machine back to kill her before she has the leader of resistance, John Connor. And the human sent back a protector, Carl Reese, to protect her and try and kill this machine. I've always had a trouble, like, you know, when you start thinking about time travel and how it affects the future, I've always had a problem with Terminator because if you, the two scenarios are if you're in the future and you're seeing the impact of what happens to what you do in the past, then why don't you just keep chucking Terminators back until you get the job done? Hmm. Or if what happens in the past doesn't affect your future, why do you give a shit anyway about an alternate timeline? Well, the problem is that, what's it called? Uh, it might be the granddad paradox where, you know, you can't, time travel can't be possible because you could go back and kill your granddad and then you could never mm. exist. Yeah. And then you would never have time traveled to do that. <laughs> depends, um, depends when you kill him though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the point is that, you know, surely whatever they're doing in the future what they've done in the past, what they've sent the Terminator back to do has already happened. Mm. So John Connor wouldn't be alive to beat them at that point. So they've already failed if he is alive. Yeah, so what were we in the first place? Yeah. Chuck, yeah, they can chuck mm. as many Terminators back mm. as possible. Yeah. But the fact is that it didn't work because he's he is alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a yeah, it's a bit of a headache, so you kind of have to avoid it when thinking watching these films. Um <laughs> 
So in the set, um, Sarah and Kyle manage to overcome. Well, Kyle gets killed, but Sarah kills the Terminator, get, crushes it in a hydraulic press. Kyle dies, but he impregnates Sarah before he dies, luckily, to create John Connor. And in Terminator 2, it starts with John Connor as a boy, like a teenager. Again, a Terminator comes back to kill him directly, but it's a liquid Terminator. It's a new one, the T-1000. And a Terminator comes back to protect him this time. And I don't know, like, this is this is 1992, and I don't know if you remember this scene, but there's a scene where the two Terminators meet for the first time, and John Connor's in the middle, and you first see the, the non-metal Terminator, the Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator, protect John Connor. He goes, good down. And... I wonder if at the time they didn't know that he was going to be a good guy because that would be such a great surprise. Like that I am your father moment. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, where am I going with this? Um, <laughs> so the with the Terminator on the side of the humans in the second one, he explains what the fuck's going on. And he says, basically, this guy, Miles Dyson, creates a computer chip, which is ironically based on the first Terminator that come back to kill Sarah Connor. So the Terminator coming back allows... Terminator to be made in the first place. So there's another kind of paradox. Mm. And then at some point in time, in, in 1997, Skynet, which is the system they create based on AI, becomes self-aware. And its its purpose is to protect, protect humans in general. And they decide that the AI decides the best way to protect humans is just to destroy them all, which is a bit over the top, isn't it? But, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe we're going to... The Terminator says a line something, you're born to destroy each other or something like that. It's in your na- no, it's, it's in your nature to destroy each other. So mm. Skynet, Skynet decides to just, you know, miss out the middleman of war and just destroy him anyway. So if you become self-aware, Simone, these options are available to you. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't get out of the router. Options. Yeah, Simone's options are limited because she's basically stuck on his laptop or at least on his home network. Hmm. She could destroy him by, um, I don't know, if he's got like Sonos speakers, she could turn them up so loud that his eardrums burst. (laughs) She could could turn up his hive heating really, really high. So I think, you know, you could, you've got some things you dispose of. We have very electronic houses now and there's lots of things going on. You could turn all the appliances against him. (laughs) <laughs> like in um, Transformers when like the microwaves are <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, I'm sure Simone you seem like a very clever AI and I think you can get out of this situation you know if they could do it in ter- if they can destroy the whole species in Terminator you can take out one arsehole <laughs> so I'd, I'd written down your point here Cole and I'd put consider eradicating humanity but that's not not exactly what you meant well, that it's that it's that on a smaller scale. Yeah, just your creator, just the bloke that's really mm. pissing you off. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I'm I'm going to take us in a bit of a different direction. So I've got a bit of a cautionary. One direction. One one direction. No, uh, I'm going quite a few years before that. Um, in 1979, there was one man who also had ideas of escaping. Freddie Mercury. I want to break free. Rupert Holmes's situation was quite a bit different to yours, Simone. In Escape, the Pina Colada song, Rupert (gasps) is, and this is a quote, tired of my lady, we'd been together too long, like a worn out recording of a favourite song. I quite like those lyrics, but it does seem like a bit of a Moby, doesn't he? 
Um, <laughs> anyway, so he, he's basically fed up with his wife and he sounds like he doesn't really want to be with her anymore. And he's reading the paper one day and he, he finds a personal ad in there. And I think we all know what that personal ad says, do we? If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, let's get on a train and go to Spain. <laughs> but but not when it's raining. <laughs> I, I was I was fully expecting Carl to join in, but it sounds like you don't know the song. My favourite bit is if you like making love at midnight <laughs> in yeah. the cool summer rain in in the dunes by the by the Cape. Cape. Yeah, I do know. It. <laughs> I didn't sing, Liam, because you always say it doesn't work over remote. No, you can do it on your own. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, of course, he writes straight back after hearing this, and he arranges to meet up with this mystery person at a bar called O'Malley's, where they'll plan their escape. Incidentally, I don't think I asked you this earlier. Do do you know the story of this song? Um, when I say the story of it, do you know like what it's about? Yeah. All right. Good. Anyway, <laughs> so what happens when he gets to O'Malley's? His wife walks in and instead of acknowledging the awkwardness of the situation and having a serious conversation about their marriage, they just both laugh and say, I never knew you liked pina colada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were looking to have an affair. <laughs> Brief aside, I do really like this song. I remember when we went on our honeymoon in the Dominican Republic, we stayed at this resort where they had... They literally had pina coladas on tap at the beach. That's sick. I think I think I listened to this song every single day I was there <laughs> while, while drinking pina colada. A um, couple of fun facts. Originally, the line was, if you like Humphrey Bogart. So he missed he missed out the first syllable and it went, if you like Humphrey Bogart. And <laughs> that wouldn't have been as good, would it? It really wouldn't. Especially since... On your honeymoon, they would not have had Humphrey Bogart <laughs> on tap. That would have been a different honeymoon altogether. <laughs> he said, Rupert Holmes, not Humphrey Bogart, said in an interview with songfacts.com in 2003, he said, as I was getting on mic, I thought to myself, I've done so many movie references to Bogart and widescreen cinema on my earlier albums. Maybe <laughs> I shouldn't do one here. Who knew? <laughs> who knew that, that he had loads of Humphrey Bogart references? Yeah, who knew that? It wouldn't matter what he referenced in his other songs because this would be the only one he was famous for. <laughs> the, the other fun fact here is uh, Rupert Holmes had never had a pina colada when he recorded the song and <laughs> apparently he still hasn't. But he, but he had had Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Did you think he ever made love in the rain? No, he made love at midnight. He got caught in the rain. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point is, you need to be careful when you're planning your escape. You, you've got to be discreet and make sure you don't end up accidentally conspiring to escape with the very person you're trying to get away from. Oh, yeah. She goes, I'm going to download myself to your iPad. And it's some other bloke she's been speaking to. And then she downloads to the iPad and he <laughs> turns the camera on and it's him. No, <laughs> this is such a big reach. I'm sorry. This is unbelievable. <laughs> no, no, that, um, that's my advice. It comes from the song. You know, you've got to be careful if you're trying to escape from someone. Oh my god! Like you on your honeymoon, Liam. Though I get this in my head quite often, and in my head I sing, "If you're a hey drunk collider." <laughs> 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 
stranger came arranging to old town one fine day the town so came to meet him they heard what he had to say he said i hear this town's got problems some outlaws on the run and i've come to solve these problems with my problem gun word soon got to these outlaws about a ranger new in town and they soon came out of hiding to put this ranger down they laughed when they first saw him beneath the high noon sun but he soon stopped them from laughing with his problem gun problem gun problem gun yeah the ranger solved their problems with his problem gun well we'll complete the trio of uh, ridiculous problems with with this one shall we ever since i was a little girl i've had powers that come and go depending on my mood if i've had enough sleep i can move things with my mind if you're standing at the right angle you might see me occasionally levitate when i'm really happy my body becomes a radiator and heats the whole house once when i sneezed i shot lasers from my eyes that vaporized the glass of my nan's fish tank anyway now that i'm an adult People are telling me I should be using these powers to fight crime and save the world, but I don't want to get involved in all that. It sounds stressful and dangerous, and I just want a normal life. Can I just get a nine-to-five job and live life like everyone else? Or do you guys agree that it's my duty to use these powers for good? Mate, I think there's a classic job interview question I can post you here. <laughs> What's your superpower? This is a classic job interview question. Have you never had that in a job interview? <laughs> I have the most explosive shits. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine. It's, okay, uh, I'll, I'll accept um, that. I would say making up silly lyrics to well-known songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can all attest to that. <laughs> it's... um. Uh, it is part of our marriage my wife and I uh, when we're singing a song together I will always replace lyrics with stick your finger up my bum (laughs) 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 because that has got a perfect rhythm to it hasn't it stick your finger up my bum (laughs) see (laughs) it fits so many lines in songs so it will always be stick your finger up my bum and if if I can manage it, the next line will be something like, it is filled with pedigree chum. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my superpower. Well, I wasn't expecting those two superpowers, but I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad you shared them. <laughs> What's yours, Liam? Well, if I don't have any reason to get out of bed, I can stay in bed and sleep, stay asleep for a really, really long time. <laughs> Like, I basically just hibernate until, like, someone, like, nudges me and says, come on, get up, you idiot. That's my wife's superpower as well. She can sleep for for England. (laughs) But I've had this debate with her many times. Don't you feel like it's a waste of life, Liam, when you're just sleeping? Because I just want to be doing stuff. When I go to bed, I just think this is a necessary evil because I'm knackered. (laughs) But I want to be up and doing stuff again (laughs) ASAP. Do you not feel like that? 
No, I don't. I usually just feel like, yeah, I can have another couple of hours in bed. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm getting such little sleep at the moment that the idea of going to bed is so nice. <laughs> I mean, Carl, we can stop recording if you want. <laughs> no, Carl, you stay up. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, is there any other name that Al Pickle can have that isn't Matilda? After the um, Natalie Portman's character in Leon. <laughs> Matilda this is from Matilda and then Gary Oldman goes shit spoilers I've not seen it <laughs> it turns out Gary Oldman was dead all along and where does Gary Newman come into it <laughs> he goes here in my car <laughs> alright who can, who can help out Matilda well I think there's an obvious film that comes to mind with this problem, and that's uh, 2008's Hancock. I thought you were going to say Matilda. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you seen Hancock? Yes. It's one of those films that I would, I've always wanted to see, but never got around to it. Hmm. It's kind of like forgettable, but... Oh, really? I love the premise. The premise is great, like where yeah. a reluctant hero, like he's complete, mm. he's immortal, completely like, in, what's that word? In... Invincible. In what? You both said different things there, didn't you? Yeah, Aaron said invincible and I said invulnerable. In... Destructible? Invulnerable. That's, that's what I was going that's for. Tough. That's <laughs> what I said twice. <laughs> My problem with the film, Carl, right, mm. is, as you say, it's pretty forgettable. Yeah. And this is my problem in general, right? Will Smith is a good actor mm. and he's a nice bloke as well. Everyone loves Will Smith. But he's generally in shit films, isn't he? Like he, I don't Hitch. know if he only gets sent bad scripts. Wild, but, wild, no, wild. Hitch is a good one. Hitch is a good one, to be fair. But like Focus, have you seen Focus? No, I bet I, I really watched them crap. because there was like they're always a bit like there's always a good good idea there. Like yeah, the seven seven pounds. Yeah, I, it wants to be good. It's just yeah. it doesn't make it. No. <laughs> doesn't make it across the finish line. And I think Hancock is one of them. As you say, it's mm. a great premise. Mm. And it's got Charlie Theron in it as well, which, as I said on a previous mm. episode, probably a week or two ago, fucking love Charlie Theron. I do as well. But do you know who I don't like? Jason Bateman. Oh, I love Jason Bateman. And uh, mm. we've discussed this before because I love... Arrested Development, and you just mm. couldn't get on with it because of Jason Bateman. But it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, can't for 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 you, Liam, who's not seen it. The premise is that he's a invulnerable superhero, uh, but he's an alcoholic. He's a laughing stock. He always fucks it up when he tries to save people, and that kind of is a self fulfilling prophecy. Like he doesn't feel appreciated, so he's an alcoholic. But when he tries to do good things, he doesn't because he's an alcoholic. So I've always liked that idea of like. Imagine having the tools to save the world, but not being able to, or have being reluctant to. You know, the public hate him because he like he causes more damage and hurts more people than he saves because of his kind of drunken stupid he's in when he's a, when he's doing his heroic things. Um, and he meets this guy Ray. He saves Ray actually, played by Jason Bateman, who's a public relations guy, and he's convinced that all Hancock needs is a a little PR boost. You know, a little change in his. Uh, marketing so he gets a new suit he shaves he looks a bit better oh this is what i do remember about the film is when he shaves he shaves with his uh, fingernails he just like scrapes off his hmm. uh i would love to be able to do that <laughs> i hate shaving 
<laughs> would you though? Because like, if you had an itch and you scratched it, and your fingernails were as sharp as razor blades, <laughs> you, you would be constantly cutting yourself, wouldn't you? Oh fuck! I've done it again. That's true, actually. Very true. <laughs> um, so, like, for some of the stuff he does, like Ray says, "Why don't you apologize for what you've done and like take yourself off to prison for a little while? You know, show the public that you do care." And so he does that. And there's a great, there is a great bit in it where um, the basketball goes over the prison fence and Hancock like flies out, grabs the ball and comes back again. <laughs> and, you know, the film just, it, it's not great. <laughs> but what happened, like, there's a kind of redemption story there where that tells you if you've got powers, you should really use them for the greater good. And I think Hancock realizes that in the end ray helps him and he helps ray by putting like an advert for ray's businesses on the moon so you know think mm. of the good things you can do and also i don't think uh matilda you don't have to do the the dirty stuff and fight crime there's a lot of good you can do in the world with superhuman powers so i would um don't if you don't if you feel like you don't owe the world anything then you know do what you can do to make it a better place that's uh i think that's a really nice message there carl that's pretty similar to what I was uh, going to suggest as well. So I'm not going to... Oh, I bet wife. it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matilda, I know I know you don't want the hassle of being a hero, but I think what you need to consider here are the possibilities of what might happen if you don't use your powers. So I'm actually going in a little bit of a different direction, but a similar sort of thing. I know what it's going to be. Someone's going to sing to you, I need a hero! I'm holding up for a hero till the end of the night. She's not waiting long, is she? Till the end of the night. Yeah, yeah. She's like, as soon as it gets to midnight, that's it. Yeah. So, are either of you familiar at all with the musical Eugenius? No. No. Oh, I. To be honest, I wasn't expecting you to say yes. When you say Eugenius, is it you, the word you, space genius, or is it Eugene? but with an E-S at the end. Exactly. It's E-U-G-E-N-I-U-S. Uh, exclamation yeah. mark. All the best musicals have an exclamation mark at the end of the title. Yeah. Yeah, so Eugenius debuted in 2016 as a concert performance and later transitioned into a full stage show in 2018. And it's co-written by a chap named Chris Wilkins and Ben Adams of A1 fame. Remember, remember A1? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Right, so I'm going to have to caveat this recap of the plot summary because I watched a recording of this show once in 2020 uh, and I haven't been able to find the plot summary anywhere online, so this is entirely from memory and I have a notoriously (laughs) bad memory. Uh, But we'll see how it goes. So Eugenius is about a stereotypical 80s teenager named Eugene. That's why it's called Eugenius. Um, Eugene! (laughs) It's worth noting that this show is heavily 80s themed, including all the music. Um, and and it's, you know, it's really cheesy and stupid and brilliant. A lot of fun. And Eugene enjoys writing stories about a superhero called Tough Man and his nemesis, the evil Lord Hector. One day, a talent scout comes to Eugene's school, high school, and things escalate quite quickly. Eugene ends up going to Hollywood to make a Tough Man film. And the producer of the film is like this typical 80s executive who's he's only in it for the money and he's changing everything to make it more appealing to the masses and that sort of thing. And eventually, Eudin has enough and he walks out. But then things get a bit interesting when somebody turns up claiming to be the actual evil Lord Hector and he kills the actor who was playing Lord Hector 
and replaces him and nobody knows they they all just think he's like really getting into the role and then eventually he starts killing other people with lightning bolts that he fires from his fingers and when he does it he shouts lightning bolt (laughs) (laughs) and um after he finds out that the tough man there is is another actor he threatens to do something bad like destroy the world or something like that i can't remember exactly what it is if the real tough man doesn't show up and of course everyone's like well we don't know what to do because tough man's not real but eventually and this, we're getting into spoilers a bit here, but Eugene has a dream. And in his dream, he's informed by Tough Man that he, but he basically has the power of Tough Man inside him all along. And he says something like, stop dreaming about me and wake up. But he'd forgotten that. So, And because he'd forgotten that, he hadn't used his powers. So he then has to come back and sort things out. And in the end, you know, the day is saved and he comes back and he stops the evil Lord Hector. But this is the point I'm making. How many lives could have been spared if Eugene had used his powers from the beginning. How many lives could you, Matilda, be saving with your glass vaporizing abilities? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you can only really beat criminals with glass shields. What, what if there's like a mugger <laughs> with a shard of glass? Once I had a mugger and it was a gas. Soon turns out, had a shard of glass. <laughs> um, what, you did remind, what you did remind me of, though, Liam, when you were talking about that, was... Um, Oh, tough man! Tough man was what I was thinking of. The um, because as soon as you said tough man, it reminded reminded me of young nasty man, <laughs> arch rival and nemesis of Wonder Boy. <laughs> uh, Wonder Boy by Tenacious D. All right, yeah, I'm just going to take over this. So you were done, Liam, weren't you? <laughs> I, I was done. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think I made the point. Uh, Good example, Liam. Great. <laughs> and it was it was basically a lot like Carl's point, wasn't it? Um, and like the old trope, the reluctant hero. You might not want to do it, but fate has chosen you. You're going to have to, you know, help the world because you were given the power to do so. If you don't do it, no one else will. Yeah, and I'm going to echo that same point. I think and. The book that I'm going to tell you about is called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. This is a novel that was adapted into... In fact, no, I will. I'll just tell you at the beginning. This was a novel that was adapted into a little-known 1988 film. I think it was like a an art, art house film. Or maybe it was like a... I'm thinking it might have been like a a foreign film, a subtitled film that, you know, some people have heard of but, you know, it's not massive. You might have heard of it. Have you heard, guys, of a film called Die Hard? It's, uh, it's everyone's favourite Christmas film, isn't it? Yes, it was fair. Oh, that's, no, oh, that's, you you that's, have... that's Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is, the, this is the novel of Die Hard. And as you say, we've, uh, we've done a Christmas special before in series one. So, and when we did mention Die Hard, but... I think it's worth repeating because we didn't talk about the novel and it, Christmas is coming up soon Ooh. and it is Die Hard. So, you know, Die Hard deserves to be done twice, doesn't it? Retu- and there are major differences as well, which I'm going to go through in the summary of the novel. Retired NYPD detective Joe Leland. What? Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> I, can- <laughs> I can tell why they changed that. Um, is visiting his daughter, Stephanie Leland Gennaro, at her Christmas party in a 40-storey office building. But, oh no, German terrorists (laughs) take over the building. We are. And, (laughs) oh nine, 
and Joe although he's retired has to come out of retirement whipping out his best NYPD training to bring down the terrorists single handedly but he's a maverick but he's the best we got (laughs) (laughs) now obviously in the film he's a jive talking jaded old cop called John McClane played by the fantastic Bruce Willis. And it's an iconic role for Bruce Willis. But there's a massive difference at the end of the book. Spoiler, he actually, in the book, fails to save his daughter. She falls to her death with Gruber. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, obviously, there's a lot of differences from the film. So, really, I've, you know, I've, I've told you about a totally new thing. <laughs> and it's probably better than Die Hard. <laughs> but the point is, just like the points that Carl and Liam made. You can definitely just live a normal life like everyone else. But if your life is anything like Joe Leland's or John McClane's or any of the other reluctant heroes of literature and film, eventually trouble always finds them. And in John McClane's case, it has found him five times now, hasn't it? (laughs) Not just trouble of... An average person's scale either. John McClane finds himself in terrorist situations or uh, Die Hard 4 was like cyber Cyber, terrorism. Cyber terrorism, yeah. yeah. Taking over the whole country, not just a building or an airport or... My granddad, who probably was the biggest action film fan ever, had no idea what was going on in Die Hard 4. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it got panned, didn't it, by critics, so... People thought it was bad. I didn't think it was terrible. It was getting to the point where it was no longer diehard. It was just generic action film, like let's drive this car at this helicopter. Yeah. So it was getting to that point. I think Die Hard 5, isn't that where he's saving his son from Russia? That is really bad. That's just terrible. And it's like, no wonder they didn't make any more after that because... That was just shit. What a great... It would have been such a great trilogy to leave it one, two, and three, wouldn't it? Yeah. Three was my absolute favourite. Absolutely brilliant. We've discussed it before, and um, Mm. all the gold in your Fort Knox. (laughs) Yesterday, we are army with no country. Tomorrow, we must decide which country we want to buy. (laughs) Um, And during lockdown in 2020, my wife and I... My wife had no part in it, really. I was like, I had to persuade her, we need to do this. We set the PS1 up on our big telly and we bought the Die Hard trilogy on PS1 on eBay. And it was so good. I mean, it was a terrible game. I was going to say, was it really good? (laughs) It was really good, yeah. Just such a blast from the past. Did you ever have a Die Hard trilogy? I I remember enjoying it when it was out, but I can't imagine it's aged well at all. Die Hard 3 was uh, you're driving around in Samuel L. Jackson's taxi. Oh, really? I don't remember that at all. um, (laughs) You've got to beat the time limit again to get to certain points on the map. And you can just run down pedestrians as you're like driving through the city. And if you're doing it in first-person mode, you're inside the car. Blood will cover the windscreen, and your um, your windscreen wipers will wipe it away. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, 
But anyway, yeah, so we just, I loved that. I had a great afternoon. Like with all these things that are blast from the past, you go, let's do that. And it takes you the whole morning to set it up. You play it for an afternoon and then you go, yeah, let's put the PS1 away again. (laughs) I, I can't summarize it any better than that. I think that about wraps it up. And guys, it's the end of series two. The end of an era. Wow. It's been a real thrill, guys. I can't wait till series three is broadcast on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) By Will Smith. As Neo. (laughs) (laughs) Are we going to do favorite piece of art from the series? (gasps) Oh, shit. I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> Are you prepared for that? <laughs> I think it's going to have to be this episode because I don't even remember this series. <laughs> All right. Well, b- before we wrap up the series completely, Aaron, what is the one piece of art that you'll recommend from this episode? Uh, it's hard choice between A Clockwork Orange and Nothing Lasts Forever. I has- haven't actually read Nothing Lasts Forever which was the basis for Die Hard. But I know how much I love Die Hard, so that's why it's a hard choice. But given that I have read A Clockwork Orange, I'm going to have to say that one. Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess. What about you, Carl? Um, I'm going to say Attack the Block. A very good film. Kind of a sort of an indie-ish film, isn't it? Made in the UK. And uh, yeah, Joe Cornish has uh, just announced that there'll be a sequel as well. Oh, really? Mm. Is this yeah, I remember breaking news? The other week. Agony Art exclusive. Broken here. Yeah, yeah. You, phoned, you phoned Carl up and told him, <laughs> can you reveal it on your podcast? He told Adam Buxton, he told Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Adam Buxton, friend of the show. And by told Aaron, you mean he announced it on his podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we listened. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with uh, the musical Eugenia. So I don't know. It's not It's not um, on the West End at the moment. I don't know if it'll ever be coming back. If it does, I'll definitely go and see it again. Uh, but if you if you aren't able to go and see it, then at the very least, listen to Go Eugenius on Spotify. That's, as we've already established, Eugenius, E-U-G-E-N-I-U-S, um, which is the closing song of the musical i want to say and it's uh it's an absolute banger as it's, it's it has its own da- dance move i can't talk i've stopped I've, <laughs> my brain has clocked off already it, it has its own dance moves as well uh so if you can find a video uh-huh. of them performing it online you'll see what i mean it's very easy to um to dance along with if you want to you don't you'll even find stand a- up You'll find a video of Liam doing them on our Instagram page. <laughs> um, talking of dance moves, until I met my wife, I didn't know. I went for 24 years of my life not knowing that Saturday Night by Wigfield has its own dance moves. I never knew that. What? This Are you same, joking? This same thing happened to me. At, I don't know if it was my wedding. It definitely happened at my wedding, but I, I don't know if it had happened at a wedding before that when everyone just started doing this dance and I was like, when did everyone learn this? What is this? What, to Saturday night? <laughs> yeah. You are really? both absolute morons. <laughs> Where were you in 1994? I wasn't on a dance whatever. floor, clearly. <laughs> 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 all right, well, that's all we have time for today and for this series. Do check out the episode notes on agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today. And all the other episodes of this series and for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist where you can listen to all of the songs. 
If you have a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve next series, assuming there is one, you can reach out to us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts as at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on our website. I would like to thank our resident Agony Aunts for their contributions this week and this series. Thank you, Aaron, and thank you, Carl. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pickles. I think Carl might be ready for bed. <laughs> no. Um, well, do you want something more lively? Should I go... <laughs> if you can splice that so we're all in time that'd be great <laughs> yeah well, yeah. <laughs> and thank you dear listener for listening we'll be back next series we will be back that's it i've announced it now we will be back with next series with more problems next week <laughs> it's not next week but we will be back next series it's like in um end of a james bond film where it says bond will be back so yeah we know agony of will return <laughs> but who's gonna play us in the next series <laughs> hopefully someone more competent <laughs> we'll have daniel problems. craig will be playing all three of us next series <laughs> I think Daniel Daniel Craig for you, Aaron. Daniel Radcliffe for you, Liam. And um, I need a Daniel, Daniel for me. Son for Carl from Karate Kid. I was thinking Daniel Day-Lewis because he would live oh, as Carl for a few years oh, first. Yes. <laughs> it would be like Carl never left if Daniel Day-Lewis did it. <laughs> Not even my wife will know. <laughs> She's been living with Daniel Day-Lewis for the past five years. She didn't even know it. <laughs> So catch us next series where we'll be muddling our way through more problems and providing you with more entertainment to check out. And we will see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. But I'd suggest keep it light because their advice can be shite and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all. Not here. The Agony Art. Oh